Hey, Aaron, have you heard that we have a promotional code for SpeechTherapyPD.com? I think I heard the same thing. Yes. So <laughs> as if we both hadn't heard that. <laughs> but um, it's First Bite. So if you log on to SpeechTherapyPD.com and enter the promotional code First Bite, it takes $10 off an annual subscription. And Aaron, do that you want to? includes all the pod courses. Yes, and we have four now. I'm not sure if y'all knew that. We have four. We have first we have bite. One. Yeah, we do. It's Speech Uncensored. Um, and in case y'all haven't heard of this lovely lady, she focuses on adults. And I know that there's a fair few of you out there that PRN impedes and or PRN in adults. So be sure to check out Speech Uncensored. And it also includes the Speech Link and the SLP Now podcast with Miss Marisha, who I like fangirl crush. She's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Okay. All right. So promo code is first bite. Whoop whoop. And don't let it autocorrect you to B Y T E because it does. It did that to me a couple times. So Woo-hoo. there it is. Woohoo! <laughs> Hi, it's Aaron. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received, and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment. Maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the all things peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Cola Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels, and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Today's episode falls in the fed, functional, and fun categories, as tonight's guest is Beth Halpin. Good Lord Almighty. Did I say that right, honey? You did. Very yeah. nice. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Beth Halpin, M-H-S-O-T-R-L, 
S C F E S. And I swear I'll get her to explain all of that in two shakes. Um, <laughs> OT feeding extraordinaire in Columbus, Ohio. So I'm totally geeking out because y'all, this is like life goals for this little Pat Mother State girl. Um, and here's why it truly does take a village to raise a child. And in the therapy world, it takes a team to functionally treat a child with a pediatric feeding disorder or oral pharyngeal dysphagia. One therapist cannot do it alone. So in case you were taking a big deep breath on the treadmill or honking your horn because of road rage, let me say it one more time. One therapist cannot do it alone. So let it go, let it go. And I'm going to like spare you the rest of that song because we all know Elsa can sing better than me. Um, but if you're the only one on the team treating, darling, you can't do it. So let me help build you a village. Now here's where it gets sticky. In my little state, we don't have an intensive feeding program for the entire state of South Carolina. Let it sink in. There is no intensive feeding program. And my heavens, we only have two graduate programs for OTs. And one of those just started a year ago and is still going through its credentialing process. So I often find myself feeling very isolated and not having a team approach. So I have to cast a very wide net to put a village together. So one day, that very wide net caught me, Miss Beth, all the way out in Columbus, Ohio. And y'all, she is an excellent catch. So Miss um, Beth is one of the founding therapists of an intensive feeding team, as I mentioned before. And she was also able to give me some recommendations to help a kiddo that I was feeling incredibly stuck with. Um, Beth, um, this little booger, I busted him yesterday. I got up to put his dirty dish in the kitchen sink at his house. And I turned around and he was licking his finger and touching the dried quinoa puff and licking it off like that was on the table that had fallen off the plate. And he was putting it back in his mouth and eating it as quickly as he possibly could with my back turn. And I turned around and he goes, oh, hey, Shell. And I was like, you are busted. <laughs> like, That's amazing. <laughs> I know it was. I was like, I was like, there is nothing wrong with you. You have a case of the bad. We can fix this. <laughs> so like, thank you. Um, oh my gosh. And then he blushed and I just like immediately started crying because I was so happy. But like, actually the grandma also started crying. We were all very happy, but like. Those are the best moments. Yes, it was. I mean, it's been it's been a year and a month to get there, but if you're going to sneak quinoa puffs, huzzah. Um, yeah. Okay. Better him than me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really, have you tried those freeze dried um, green snap things? Yes. Apparently they're healthier than Doritos. <laughs> so like. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I can give you that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, they, they have a crunch. I don't know. I'd prefer my Doritos, but they just don't like me as much. So anywho, squirrel. All right. Back to, back to the <laughs> intro here. Um, okay. So as I've said before, knowledge is power. And I feel that knowledge is power that should be shared. So I asked Beth to join us here today and to shine her light. And um, she said, yes. So I'm super excited. So Miss Beth, um, tell us about your walk and what in the blue blazes does your alphabet soup mean? Because that's a lot of letters. <laughs> well, thank you, Michelle. Um, I'm honored to be able to join you guys today. So um, I have no problem going and sharing kind of my journey. 
So um, I actually started as an OT, not even in the pediatric world. Um, I started by doing functional capacity evaluations for people with workers' comp. What is um, that? So basically for people who maybe were injured on the job and are trying to re-enter the workforce, you know, all of our jobs have descriptions as far as what say like you have to be able to lift so many pounds and push yes. this. And so I started my career by doing a standard assessment to be able to say whether or not people could re-enter the workforce and if they could, what would be their limitations or restrictions that needed to be put onto them. Mm -hmm. um, so as a new grad, that was very eye-opening um, and for another conversation at another time. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> the stories I could tell from some of the people I met. Um, I then moved my career over to adult inpatient rehab, um, and I spent just about six months there <laughs> until a pediatric um, position opened up. And I pediatric has been my passion, and I knew that that's ultimately where I wanted to, to bring my career. Um, and that was up in Toledo, Ohio, and I kind of worked at all gamuts up there, and including the NICU, the PEDS, ICU, oncology, hematology. I did some school-based for um, a school year, home care. And that was really where I kind of started my feeding career. I've, I've been to Toledo. It's, don't, there's a hockey team, the walleyes? There is, yeah. I know that. I ate a walleye. It was delicious. <laughs> I mean, like it was fried and there was like stuff on it, but like it was, <laughs> what river is that on? I'm trying, I can't remember. The Mommy River? Yes. Okay. Yes. And over into Lake Erie. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. never eaten a walleye, so I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, one of the things I do whenever I go out traveling, I try to eat like local cuisine. And I was staying in a hotel that had a bar and it was sleeting with freezing okay. rain and I wasn't going to leave. So I had a bar food version of a walleye and I was like, Oh, I'm not going to die. This is delicious. So like, you know, and when you fry it, you, everything's delicious, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, all right. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was excited. I know where that is on a map. <laughs> yes. So when I was in the NICU, you know, that's kind of where my, my feeding kind of journey began, which for a lot of people, it's kind of scary to think that I started in the NICU with those teeny tiny tiny little babies and feeding them. Um, and then kind of fast forward seven years, you know, I moved back to Columbus. Um, that's where I'm originally from and where my family is located. And I took my career to the outpatient world. Mm -hmm. And I had had, you know, experience coming in for feeding and my journey in the uh, in feeding kind of just took off once I joined the outpatient world. Um, our hospital here has a, at the time they called it an interdisciplinary feeding clinic. And there happened to be an opening um, within that clinic shortly after I started at the hospital. I was seeing outpatient kids for, for feeding therapy, along with other general OT services. Um, and then we had a physician who joined the hospital who started the intensive feeding program, and I joined that team, and my you know, career in feeding has gone just straight from there. So once I joined the intensive program, I only do feeding therapy anymore. That's I no awesome. longer do general outpatient therapy. That's so. awesome. Okay. So that's it in a nutshell. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate all the various routes that you went. Um, how... Okay, just professional nosy question. 
I periodically have to come home in the course of my day to take a shower because Uh like I'd say once every six months I get tinkled on because, you know, when you're holding a special needs child, sometimes this happens Um, or I get thrown up on and I never push a kid to vomiting, but sometimes like if they move too quickly or if they're overfilled, I mean, or if they flip vomiting, vomiting happens. Yes. But like, I don't work in a hospital where they have showers. So I periodically have to go home and like clean myself and, or Mm -hmm. just change scrubs because I'm so covered in like somebody else's like express breast milk that was vomited on me. Like, does that happen to you too? Yeah. So funny story. So when we started the intensive feeding program, our very first patient in the program was an older child. I think he was around seven or eight years old mm-hmm. um, on the spectrum and pretty severely on the spectrum, nonverbal and mm-hmm. um, kind of green when it comes to the intensive part of the world of things and doing the meal. And he was a kid who, when he didn't like what you presented to him, he attacked the plate, but he also didn't like having anything on his hands. Okay. So my very first meal and in the intensive program, I left that meal with handprints of pureed food, literally from head to toe. Yeah. And it was eight o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, if that doesn't say you've been baptized in freedom, I don't know what does. <laughs> Pretty much. And I yeah. had to walk from one department to another department in the hospital because that's where my desk was at. And um, they, I came over and some of my coworkers were like, how did it go? <laughs> So, so luckily I was able to go and get scrubs. I couldn't shower, but I could at least get scrubs from the hospital. And from that day on, I keep a spare set of one, if not two pairs of scrubs and t-shirts in my desk at all times. Brilliant. I keep some in my trunk and like hand sanitizer and wipes in bulk just in case. Because absolutely, I mean, sometimes I'm 45 minutes from my house, you know, so yep. um, that happens. <laughs> and like, yeah, early, it always cracks me up when people are like, yeah, I'm going to go inpatient because inpatient's where the action is. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> right. Come to the outpatient yeah, world. Try, outpatient. <laughs> try home health. Let me know how that works for you. Oh, that's funny. Okay. All right. Huh. Okay. Well, then let me dive right into it. Um, okay. So over the years, I received some feedbacks from SLPs um, that mm-hmm. they are worried about scope of practice encroachment when an OT is involved in feeding. And I remember okay. specifically giving lectures out in California, and I had a slide up on the screen, and I, I titled it OT Collaboration. And okay. there was some incredibly frustrated SLPs in the room. And one of them just interjected, which I appreciate because like, you know, I don't always have a filter. And she goes, "Uh uh-uh, OTs need to take a back seat because right now we're dealing with PTs in the NICU. And I was utterly flabbergasted. And after a quick sidebar conversation, come to find out the PT association had hired a lobbyist to expand their scope of practice within their unique state LLR licensing that allow okay. physical therapists to do feeding therapy in the NICU. And oh. the 
Uh-huh. And the SLPs were gravely concerned because the physical therapists in the state had no actual training in oral pharyngeal dysphagia. And in the room, lo and behold, were three PTs. And they were all like, yeah, our boss told us to come and we don't want to feed the infants. And I was like, well, I don't do a NICU. This is the wrong lecture. I'm grateful you're here. But like... I mean, like that was, that was the very first time I came across professional heat and anger. But my point was OTs, when I've done my part to advocate and to engage in OT, I have found them to be vital to my sessions. And what I feel like we just need to go ahead and clean the air, put it out there. What is the OT roles and responsibilities or the scope of practice for an OT as it pertains to feeding therapy? Because I think that y'all need to be there, but that is not how it's felt across the, the continental and or distance United States. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, great question. You know, so at our hospital here, we do a lot of collaboration between OT and speech, you know, and I always kind of jokingly say, but wholeheartedly mean, you know, there's plenty of room in the sandbox for all of us to be there, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think that we need to draw any lines in the sand and say, hardcore, this is speech and this is OT, you know, type deal. From the OT scope of practice, um, and actually, um, I think it was in 2017, the American Occupational Therapy Association actually came out with some guidelines related to feeding, eating, and swallowing for the OT practitioner. Um, And it was broken down into kind of the entry-level OT, both as an OTR and as a certified occupational therapy assistant, a CODA, Uh and then the more advanced practitioner for both OT and CODAs. Um, and so, you know, OT's kind of bread and butter is really looking at it from an activities of daily living ADLs. Mm-hmm. And obviously eating is, is part of that, you know, kind of um, definitely falls under the, those ADLs. And so from an OT standpoint, you know, we, we learn anatomy and physiology and neuroanatomy and our schooling. So from an academic standpoint, um, you know, I think that we definitely, it falls within our scope of practice. You know, we learn about, you know, kind of developmental stuff from across the lifespan. Um, and so I think the unique part that OT really can bring to feeding is that, you know, we look at the child from a whole body standpoint. Yes. Wait, don't get me hold wrong. On, hold on. People that are listening, OTs are more than stacking blocks, stringing beads, and handwriting without tears. Okay. Yes. It is the whole body. So please, if you haven't heard, yes, if you haven't heard them yet, then go back um, in June and July of 2019. I have two episodes with Paul Tardy, and he specifically goes into depth on OT scope of practice. And then he has a separate one on, um, therapeutic handling and core strengthening. So go back and listen to those because OTs are more than handwriting without tears. Okay. Sorry. Absolutely. And so looking at, (laughs) I love your (laughs) school. Thank you. I try. Um, You know, but looking at the whole body standpoint, you know, starting with just position and how, and I mean, obviously I'm in the pediatric realm, so I'm going to talk from the child standpoint, you know, but how is that child sitting for meals? 
And it's not always just putting them into the wheelchair because their wheelchair is really designed for them from a mobility standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's not designed to support them from an eating standpoint, you know, and so, and sometimes the positioning that's required for mobility is different required for feeding. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be able to properly support them in their head and on their trunk so that they can focus on what they're doing in their mouth. And, and I think that's something that you, that OTs are unique to bring to the table, you know, especially in collaboration with speech. Um, and then, you know, looking at it from the range of motion to, can they bring up the spoon to their mouth? Can, do they have the strength and endurance to go and chew the food once it's in their mouth? Do they have the strength and endurance to go and sit in their chair for an entire meal? You know, or do we need to go and gradually go and continue to work on that um, component to it as, you know, and start with short meals and gradually go and get them longer so that they can go and have the strength to go and sit for an entire meal. I, so I have seen that go, firsthand. My little one that was sneaking the quinoa, when I started with him a year ago, he wasn't feeding himself anything at all. And the prior clinician was trying to work on advanced solids, but he was not even feeding himself pureed foods. And I said, let's mm -hmm. take it back to actually feeding himself what he currently consumes. And it has taken us a year and he's just now built up the endurance to feed himself about 60% of his meals. But absolutely, that's, I mean, we have multiple etiologies and potentially a life altering genetic diagnosis in the wings that's being, mm. that's like pending that, you know, I mean, that, that is an important pending, right? But Right. That endurance, that muscle strength. I mean, you don't, we don't wake up and go run a 5k. Now I am a huge fan of the couch potato 5k. Like I have done that a couple <laughs> times, but like, and I may or may not be doing it again because like I want to run. We have a really cool thing called the Sharonda Coleman scholarship. Um, it's here in oh. South Carolina. Um, okay. Big, big deviation from the talk. But um, if you're listening, Sharonda Coleman was an SLP. She lost her life um, at the Mother Emanuel church shootings a couple years ago. And oh. she was an SLP and an avid runner. So every mm -hmm. October, um, the first or third weekend in October, we have a memorial scholarship. And I am determined that I will like beat my time. So, um, and it <laughs> is, it's one of those where like you can run from anywhere. Like we have an online donation system and like you can run, but like, I'm going to do it in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> couch potato 5k, but that's <laughs> taken me that much time to do much less a tiny human learning to feed himself hand to mouth. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Absolutely. But I will also say, because I mean, this does, this is not an uncommon question, you know, to kind of come up periodically, you know, and so I have looked, you know, even at the ASHA, um, I believe they have some guidelines also for, for dysphagia. Yes. And so, um, and along with that 2017, that what AOTA put out there, you know, I kind of did compare and there is a lot of gray area, you know, and so you're going to have overlap just because of some of the nature of what we are both able to do. So it's within our scope of practice to be able to, to provide feeding therapy, but I rely heavily on my, my speech cohort cohorts and vice versa, you know? And so, because I do think that we all bring something unique to the table, but that we can work nicely together in collaboration. Um, you, okay. So you mentioned one thing 
um, about a coda. And there's yes. this practice as a variation. Did we ever answer the question about the SFC, CFES? Oh. Okay. okay. <laughs> My alphabet soup? No, alphabet we did soup. not. Okay, I'm so, so sorry. No, it's okay. All right. So it, within the SLP world, we have SLPs that have their C's, Certificate of Clinical Competency. Mm-hmm. And ASHA is actually getting ready to roll out, and it should be in effect in 2020, is my understanding, um, a... SLPA certification. So I don't really know what that's going to look like, but we're finally getting up on the SLPA certification because right now it um, it varies state to state and we don't have like a national level certification. So we're finally getting there. But in the SLP world, SLPAs are not allowed to do feeding therapy. Now they oh, may okay. be Yep. They may be part of a team at the school that is trained to feed a child along the lines of like a para pro or mm-hmm. a sped teacher or a school nurse, but they're not actually doing therapy. They're just providing nourishment during school hours. Okay. Um, and it's unique to the fully seed SLP to actually offer feeding and dysphagia therapy. And then we have an upper echelon, which is like life goals for me, but it's the board certification specialty hyphen swallowing BCSS. And like we have board certification specialty in like fluency. Um, there's, there's a couple different ones, but I just know, um, I think they even might have one in like neurogenics or I don't know, like I'm focused on the dysphagia one right. personally. Um, and that's like, like you mentioned like before we talked, it's like a portfolio and you have to check so many boxes and demonstrate so many competencies, but, um, that's the SLP world, but in the OT world, can CODAs actually do feeding therapy? So I think the short answer is yes. Um, just, I don't personally work with a, a CODA. Um, and, and I ha- I er- did early on in my career, but that wasn't not in the pediatric, um, realm of, of my, my, my career. So, um, I cannot answer it from a personal experience. I'm just going to, I'm just going by since I have looked at the guidelines and that they did have it listed for some guidelines from a CODA standpoint that I would say that there probably Mm -hmm. are some States. The way the CODA is, is that, um, the OTR basically is the one who kind of, um, sets, does the evaluation and kind of sets the, the plan of care. Um, and the CODA mm-hmm. helps carry out those, um, and the treatment and stuff. And okay. so, so, so I would say that, yes, but it, look at it from a state regulation. Um, cause we have our national regulation, you know, but we also have our, each of our state boards. Um, so, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. Cause we've, it's, it's different. The whole, we can't compare professions in some sense, like the OT guidelines versus the speech guidelines are like apples to a canoe. (laughs) So like they're very different. Like I've tried to do compare and contrast before. And then I like walked away. I was like, all right, cool. I'm done. (laughs) But like, okay. All right. So So back to what is your alphabet soup then? So, um, so MHS, so I have my master's in health science. I have actually been an occupational therapist long enough that I could practice, I was able to practice with an undergrad degree. And so, um, I did not OT went. But you were so young looking. Oh my God. <laughs> what you. moisturizer do you use? I appreciate that. Thank you very like, much. 
Do you have like a crazy retinol A compound? Because like, dude, my Irish eyes are like squinty. My four-year-old goes, mommy, I like your cracks. And I was like, my crack? <laughs> yeah, right here. And I was like, honey, those are called angles. Thank you very much. I didn't actually start using moisturizer. I should never admit this until I turned turn 40. So. <laughs> oh, God. All right. I love hate you. That's good genetics. All right. Moving on. Um, so, so okay. yeah. So my MHS, I went back and got my master's, um, obviously, in a health science. I didn't, it was a program designed for practicing therapists um, who, who just wanted to advance their degrees. Um, and then so OTRL okay. is my, my occupational therapist license and, um, licensed and registered. And then the, okay. um, S C F E S I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's a mouthful. it is. <laughs> so it stands for specialized certification in feeding, eating and swallowing. And that is a portfolio that uh, I was able to complete at the program, um, based, based out of um, the Occupational Therapy Association. Um, so they have some board certifications, but then they also had some areas that were special certifications. Um, and feeding, eating, and swallowing fell under the special certification. And so that's, so so cool. that's what I have. And so it, it was it was a portfolio. You had to go and do like so many different criterias and write things up. And it was peer-reviewed. And um, so I think I was more excited to go and get those credentials than I was my master's. <laughs> I, I, I can get it. Like one day I want to be able to say I have completed my BCSS, but like every time I get close, I end up not working for like a while. Like we, I was well on my way. And then I had almost, um, four months of bed rest with one of my tiny humans. And, um, you have to show 350 intervention hours within like a set period. And I was like, well, that started over again. Because I definitely only binge watch X-Files for about three months of that. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, Mulder and Scully, this is a very complicated relationship that they have. I should have picked something not so um, difficult to watch to like offset, you know, pregnancy rage. Like I should have watched Friends, but whatever. X-Files. All right, cool. All right. So then I, okay, congratulations. Now that we understand that, that means that you definitely are the subject matter expert to have on to better explain OT scope of practice. So thank you. You're welcome. All right. Now, all that being said, because that was a lot, um, <laughs> what is your take on the popular recommendation of quote unquote messy or sensory play with feeding therapy? Because I haven't exactly been sold on it. So like, <laughs> enlighten us, friend. So, so I think there's a lot of, <laughs> I think there's a lot of feeding approaches out there. And I don't think yes. that there's a cookie cutter approach that goes and says this works for every kid. Um, so I think with that being said, and just talking from my own clinical experience, you know, I went down the messy play, sensory play avenue with a lot of my outpatient kids. And I could get them to touch a food, to play with the food, maybe bring it up to their mouth to give it a kiss or a lick. But I couldn't get them to actually consume anything, which is the whole purpose of feeding therapy. So, um, and then I entered the intensive world. And 
we took a little bit of a different approach to it. We used some more um, behavioral modifications, you know, kind of to it. Um, and that just opened up a whole different ball game to me. And, and I could take a step back and, you know, sensory play and messy play, it's all about doing gradual exposure for the kid and trying to meet the kid where they're at. But you also need to be able to put in some clear expectations for the child of what you expect them to be able to do. And that's kind of where the intensive world kind of changed my thinking. So we didn't do the messy and play with things. You know, we would start with kind of a ridiculously small bites or taste of a food with the expectation that the child would accept it, swallow it, and then be done, you know, kind of to it. So you're still doing gradual exposure. You're, you're, um, to be able to advance the way things are going. Um, so I guess I personally have found that sensory play and messy play has not worked a lot for the patients that I've treated, but obviously I think it works for other people, you know? So again, I'm not saying that one is right or wrong. It just has not, that avenue has not worked for the patients that I have treated. Um, I, I concur with that. And, um, I appreciate how you tiptoed in those waters because that's like me when I like word vomit at people that I don't use chewy tubes and Z vibes and they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, science. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, but, um, I have, I have enjoyed spending time with the let's expose the kiddo to it, but I like to integrate it into a home exercise program. Yeah. So like, Hey, have the kid like engage with the food during the week, expose them to it, let him see Mm -hmm. them, let him engage with it. And then when I show up next Tuesday at 1215, then we'll take the food that you guys engaged with for the last week and I expect you to have at least three bites like yeah. in the set period of time. Like you're going to do this. Right. You can do this. I believe in you. Um, I have one little guy. His mantra is I will feed myself. <laughs> and then like he'll build himself up and then we'll do it. And then I'll have a couple bites. And he's like, I am so proud of myself. And I'm like, buddy, I am proud of you. But like, you know, like it's, and I also don't feed the kid okay, um, unless they have like a physical component in which they cannot physically feed themselves. Yeah. Um, but I very much am a fan of the child needs to feed themselves. Um, they need to have that hand to mouth oral prep stage engagement because I don't know right out the gate. Are you a left side chewer or a right side chewer? Okay. Right. Everybody that's listening, if you have bubble gum in your mouth, or if you have something handy nearby, throw a piece of something in your mouth to chew that is edible. Um, we do see a lot of pica. Um, and um, chew. Every person that's listening has a dominant chew mm-hmm. side. Absolutely. And and that's something that um, I don't buy into the um, oral motor exercise regimen because – we all naturally gravitate to one side because it's comfortable. And when, God forbid, you have like a cracked tooth on that side and then you go to switch sides, you feel unbalanced and off kilter. Yep. Not just because you got a busted tooth, but also because like it doesn't feel right because that's not the side that you chew on. Well, if you're feeding a kid and you don't know their chew dominant side, honey, that's what you're doing to the tiny human. 
And little subtle variations like that in my practice, um, that that has helped me be yeah. a better clinician. Now, I will say that I do do – I do feed a lot of kids um, only because we – I tend to bring food textures way down. So to be mm-hmm. able to go, if you decrease the texture of the food, as you're working on skill development, you can increase the volume that they're taking. So, and again, remember, I work in an intensive world now, but I even use this as an outpatient um, at a much different scale. Um, but we would oftentimes even work at either like with pureed table food. And I'm not talking baby food or pouches. I'm talking, we put this slice of pizza in the blender and we mixed it with some tomato sauce and we blended it up to a smooth puree. Um, so that, um, yes, I've done that with Chick-fil-A, yes. with Chick-fil-A sauce. Wait, have you ever seen There's a fantastic guy that you got to follow. He's an Instagram account and it's hard to swallow. Have you ever seen no. him? He's hysterical. He does SLP memes and it's completely inappropriate. Y'all go check out this guy. It's amazing. <laughs> and he commented back and he was like, please tell me you added water to the pureed Chick-fil-A. I was like, yes, and Chick-fil-A sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, no. But I mean, but yeah. it's just to go and show that you don't have to rely on those, those store-bought purees, that you can go and take the food that the family's eating for dinner and puree it down. Don't mix it all together. Keep your food separate so that the kids learn the different flavors of things and they're not eating, you know, goulash of, of, of um, dinner. <laughs> um, and so a lot of the kids that I work with, you know, they just, they're kind of like, I'm not going to take a bite. Now I want to stress, I do not force feed. So thank you. I, I repeat, Again, say that one more time. I do not force feed. So I gain a lot of trust by, we might practice by the child accepting an empty spoon from me, you know, with some side placement, um, with a nice big open mouth um, and a lot of praise. So like when they accept that empty spoon, um, they know very clearly like what's expected of them. And then once we can go and do like 10 repetitions of an empty spoon without any distress and the kid's like, this is fun and easy, then I might put just a tiny little taste of a food on the tip of that spoon. And it's like, it's enough that the child can go and say, huh, that was different but I can accept it. We're not, I'm not giving them a full bite of food right off the bat, you know? So again, it's that gradual exposure and meeting that child kind of where they're at. But because of, of the child not necessarily wanting to eat is why I do a lot of um, spoon feeding until they're, um, they're either able to eat full volumes, you know, kind of, of it. then we will start introducing some self-feeding, you know, kind of to it. But to get things going, I do do a lot of, of the feeding with the child. So. And, but you, you get there. I do get there. You get them to the comfort zone and, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and my tiny human that took a year to get there, I did that in the beginning, but like a year later, we, we got there. Hey, I'm not sure if you've caught the updates yet, but I have the pleasure, if you haven't seen it already, of announcing the 2020 SpeechTherapyPD.com Conference at Sea. 
We are going aboard a Royal Caribbean Alaskan cruise departing Vancouver, British Columbia, July 10th through 17th of 2020. And I am thrilled and humbled to be announcing that I will be presenting. I have a a three-hour course, a two-hour course, a one-hour course, and I'm co-presenting another three-hour course. And my co-presentation will be with the one and only Lee Ann Porter of Speech Uncensored, which is Speech Therapy PD's newest adult pod course podcast that just added to our lineup. And Marisha McGordy, the guru behind SLP Now, will also be there. And if you register before September 30th, then you get a free six-month subscription to SLP Now. So again, make sure that you register before September 30th of 2019 for the Speech Therapy PD conference at sea, um, which is July 10th through 17th of 2020. And I cannot wait to see y'all aboard a ship where we're going to see real life bears and like, hopefully we'll get to see Northern Lights. So whoop, whoop, see you at sea. Bye. Is there any other, do you guys, do you have any like favorite references for messy play or sensory play or the appropriate use of or lack of use of off the top of your head? Or does, um, is it like a thing that a, it's not aota. You call yourselves AOTA. Like we call ourselves a for short, but aota is not a word. I thought I thought I really thought for like a couple of years Ayota was like a word and OTs looked at me, but nobody corrected me. And then finally somebody put me aside was like, we don't call it that. So I was like, oh, snap. Um, okay. But do you do you have a favorite reference for that or um anything off the top of your head? That's totally throwing you under the bus. Do you like how yeah, I know? You? Thank you. Um gosh, yeah. off the top of my head, no, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> Okay. You've put me on the spot. Um, um, that's okay. I'm good at that. Um, I, I know I have one. Sherry Fraker with food chaining. She does do some nice stuff. Yes. Um, yes. And she, I feel like she's got something in one of her books on it, like in her book on it, but I can't remember where. Yeah. Um, and I know I'm not at my desk currently, but I know I have a couple of books at my desk that if I was sitting there, I'd be able to pull them off and be like, yes, these are them but I'm in someone else's office. <laughs> Dude, don't even stress. Okay. So, um, when we switch over to the live Q and a and like a couple of minutes, um, then, um, just, you know, like have a screenshot, like text it to me and I'll throw it on the first bite page. How Perfect. About that? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. All right. So then, um, I, I once had somebody reference the towel of poo and I really thought she was talking about poo, like as in poop. And I was like, Oh my God, that's a great book. But no, it was the Tao of Poo as in Winnie the Pooh. Oh. <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> that was not what I thought where the conversation was going. So that was fun. Um, you know, oh, pooing and, and eating all go together, right? <laughs> I do. And I get a lot. I view myself as having arrived in a good bonding relationship with the family when I get pictures on my cell phone of their kids poo that just randomly shows up. And like yep. the best is when the boys look over my shoulder and cause you know, they're nosy and like six year old is like, Ooh, poop should not be that color. They should talk to, and get a second opinion. And I'm like, <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> You're correct, son. They should get a second opinion. Why don't you grow up and be the second That's opinion? Right. Mommy needs help. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So if let's let, let me go to the next one. If you had a room filled with colleagues, OTs, SLPs, PTs, psychologists, caregivers, family members doing feeding therapy. Okay. What are your top three recommendations that you would give us? And then give me the why, because the why always makes me very curious. Can I give you five? Oh my God, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, you made my heart so happy. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I've thought about this. So, okay. um, so I think the number one recommendation I would give someone is to set clear and realistic mealtime expectations and stick to them. So what I mean by that is, you know... As therapists, we're always trying to get the child to do one more and then one more. And can we push them a little bit more? You know, and I so, have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm so guilty of that. You know, so by having clear expectations, you know, so if you are preparing the plate that you're going to present the child, you know, that you have a set number of either bites or a set amount of food. And you're not going to add anything more to that plate. So once the food is gone, they're done. And if you go and say, I want you to take one more or this is the last bite, mean it. You know, and so it's not, doesn't turn into this. Okay, last one. Oh, I meant just one more. Oh, wait, one more. Now it can be the last bite, you know, because the kids kind of, they lose trust with you. So that would be, I think, my, my number one recommendation um, for, for a group of people. Number two would be that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that means that I'm, I'm thinking specifically of two kids on my caseload that I have to readjust because I'm guilty of, well, they let me get that many and maybe I can just get like a little bit more, right. but like, ah, oh, I love doing this because I learn so much as a professional. Okay. All right. Let's Follow through, Michelle. Follow through. Okay. All right. Number two. So number two is looking at the whole child, you know, when you're looking from a feeding standpoint. So that means looking at positioning and it's so important to provide that support um, so that they can focus on what they're doing in their mouth, look at their oral motor skills, um, and it's okay to decrease the texture of food in order to get the volume up, but you can still work on kind of chewing maybe at a snack time, but at, during a meal time, we're going to go with the lower textures of food. So let it be a pureed or a really finely fork mashed something. Um, and then, um, looking at their strength and endurance, you know, kind of during the meal, not only with what they're doing in their mouth, but what they're doing from their ability to sit and attend to the meal. Um, okay. Go ahead. I, I have a thought that I have to interject. Yeah. I have my CLC and I was thrilled when I get the coursework. Also, um, y'all, there's a phenomenal group, Healthy Children and Families. Um, they have a very pretty blue and white logo and you can find them on all forms of social media. Um, they talk about, and there was not an OT in the class, which I was sad to see because it would be lovely if there was, had been an OT in my specific training class. Um, they talk about posturing from the second they are born all the way up. Absolutely. And so this goes from the beginning and there's a couple of phrases, um, 
uh, nose to lips, um, no hip. Oh, I'm going to mess it up now. <laughs> Hips to lips, nose to nips. Um, there it is. Um, so you present the, the nipple at their nose, but their hips and lips have to be in proper alignment. Yep. And for some of our children that have had traumatic deliveries or, or prematures, they need postural supports and swaddling and pressure through their feet from NICU on. Right. So I always compare this as I am sure somebody listening has gone to, is petite and has gone to a tall bar table <gasps> and may or may not have had one drink that was a little bit too many and you proceeded to get down from said very tall bar table. <laughs> and if you are the um, petite person in the room, um, you know how that's going to work out, right? You got no freaking clue where your body is in space and then you... <laughs> Right. Oh my God. I just scared dog. I'm so sorry. Dog. <laughs> but like that, ha- my dog's name is dog, but like that happens. That's what we're doing to our tiny humans when we don't give them proper posturing and support. Right. So just if you've ever had that personal experience, and if you have not had that personal experience, talk to a friend, you will find someone that has. <laughs> Absolutely. And the other thing I wanted to say about strength and endurance, it's more than just what happens in that particular meal or treatment session. You need to be able to carry it out so they have the strength and endurance to be able to do three to five or six meals in a day, depends on their feeding schedule and the age of the child. So they can't go and basically empty the gas tank in order to go and do it all at meal one, because then at meal two, they have nothing to be able to offer. So they're not going to be, they're not going to be able to eat, you know, so being able to look to make sure that they're able to carry those skills through multiple meals in a day. Um, and that's why it, for some of the patients that we treat, a feeding tube is appropriate. Absolutely. Y'all, there are certain, yes. And there, when I first started doing feeding and swallowing, if a physician recommended a feeding tube, I took it as a personal assault on my clinical skill set. That has nothing to do with my clinical skill set and my ability to get a kid PO. Right. That has everything to do with the quality of life, the metabolic cellular level for that kid. Absolutely. If that kid and and we have to check our own egos and misunderstandings, because sometimes it's not ego or it or whatever the word is. Sometimes it's really truthfully like our own misunderstandings. Some of these children have, like if you have a kid with cystic fibrosis, right. or if you have a kid with a cardiac condition, or um um, severe obstructive sleep apnea or laryngomalacia, trachomalacia that requires like a trach, then um, it's okay that they have a feeding tube to be nourished while they're building up that strength and endurance. Um, and, and we have, and we have to support the families when that decision time comes. Yes. So, um, but I have seen that, um, be misconstrued as numerous, like I've seen a lot of clinicians like have a hard time, like, but the kid could do this. And I'm like, but we're not there yet. And can I tell you, I've had a number of families that have said, I don't know why I fought that feeding tube for so long. It takes the stress off of it, you know? And on the flip side, in the intensive program, I get to see the tubes come back out. You know, and so, um, and I've seen the whole, the whole spectrum of it, you know, but I have had a number of families that really fought getting that G tube and 
they they came back and they were like that that was like the best thing that we've ever did. My kid is a much happier person because we no longer are battling over meals. Um, I have um, had the pleasure of working with a little one for just shy of three years, and was there from initial diagnosis that gut wrenching. Um, that gut wrenching valley. That still three years later, I um, just want to weep and mourn with the mom. You know, to um, we are down to two half feeds at lunch and dinner. Yeah. So like maybe eight ounces total. But uh, um, and mom when and, and mom was has been very honest, very open. She's um, done some inserts into some of my webinars and live lectures. And she's a pediatrician. And she goes, as a pediatrician, I could not wrap my brain around this. As a mom, I couldn't wrap my brain around this. And then finally, I had to be clinical in order to survive the diagnosis. Uh-huh. And then um, when the little one got the tube, she goes, I could work on the quality and not the quantity of the feeds. She goes, and I got my life back. I gave her a life. And I was like, yes. But like that was, um, I gave myself goosebumps. That has. um, It's very powerful. Yeah, it is. It's very, very cool. Absolutely. I just need to start keeping tissues nearby when I record these things. Okay. All right. All right. So I think we've only made it to two tips. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So number three for me would be that change occurs best with frequent practice. So it's great that they can come into therapy and see you maybe like once a week or every other week for an hour. But there's lots of hours in between the time that they see you. And it's not always the out like... Doing an hour-long session, you don't always get the best results that way. Sometimes you need to do like multiple little mini mini sessions or mini meals because going back to you want good quality of what you're doing to, in order to go and build those building blocks, you know. And so, so maybe we go and we, we practice going and taking kind of that one bite and then we go play for five minutes and then we come back. And we do another bite and we play, you know, but it's kind of that you need just that frequent practice that needs to happen more than just in the therapy session and more than just one time in a day. You know, it just, it needs to occur. So it becomes a pattern and a habit for them. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to elaborate on I, anything there? No, I'm just thinking of how many times I've seen peel, banana, peel, peel, <laughs> banana hey, for one little guy. And then, hey, Jude. And then I don't know what happens beyond hey, Jude, because luckily, I guess the Beatles sing the rest of that song. I don't know. But like, um, you know what? If that is the positive affirmation towards Pino intake, like I could think of worse things. So, like, Very true. <laughs> Please tell me, hey, Jude is sung by the Beatles because I'm going to feel like a schmuck if it's not. I'm going to say yes, but I'm not a music fanatic. So, but yes, I'm going to say yes. (laughs) We can both be wrong. I'm going to do the Google so I don't look like a total idiot. Like I really thought the Sierra Mountains were the Rocky Mountains a couple months ago. And then one of my girlfriends. I'm about 95% sure that yes, it is the Beatles. Okay. All right. Beatles. All right. Cool. Okay. Because it turns out those are two totally different mountain chains. So like, you know, <laughs> you go all that and I'll give you number four. <laughs> all right. Go for it. All right, cool. Um, so take a deep breath. You will get puked on. 
You will get spit on. You'll probably be bit. But in the end, it is all worth it when you see that child succeed and that family have a successful meal. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And successive meals come in many ways, you know. So um, do I – I don't count success of a kid being able to go and sit down and eat a steak dinner because that's not necessarily realistic with a lot of our medically fragile children, you know, as far as Mm -hmm. steak is a hard thing to chew. Um, Mm -hmm. But successful meals might be, like I said, sitting down and maybe eating pureed steak, and potatoes, or it might be working with finely fork mashed, or which is not the new um, terminology for that's coming all out with um, it's, it's, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but you no, know, it's, so it's okay. I got you though. <laughs> <laughs> but just remember that success for meals comes in all shapes and sizes, and all of them should be embraced and celebrated. Yes. Um, and, and for some of our kiddos, remember success is going to change because for some of our medically fragile children, I have worked with, I have had the humble pleasure of working with a couple of children that, um, left this earth a little bit earlier than, um, what we would have preferred and that success was a, um, it kind of felt like a slippery slope backwards, but there was joy in that journey, even though we were losing them because we got to do pleasure feeding mm-hmm. and quality of life, pleasure feeding for a tiny human, um, is not something I ever thought I was going to set out to do professionally. Right. Um, and then I became a mom and my Gosh, that's incredibly difficult. But if we're PO one day and then um, take a turn for the worse and their baseline changes uh, and you're intubated and sedated for a month um, and then you come to and all of a sudden you don't want to take half of your meals by mouth, success is letting a spoonful of pureed food touch your lips right. or smiling and and that is also to be celebrated. Right. Absolutely. Um yeah. So um and and that's something as clinicians that we have to give ourselves permission that that's okay yep. and that's awesome. Um I've never seen a peds quality of life um palliative care lecture. I don't want to. Um because I mean like you know what I mean yeah. like I can't not be like the person that I am, but like, I've taken a bunch of those from like an adult perspective, Mm -hmm. but like, um, yeah. Okay. Give me joy with number five. (laughs) Great lead in for number five, because number five is have fun and roll with feeding, eating and swallowing right. You know, I mean, there's going to be ups and downs and twists and turns and you just have to roll with it and have a smile on your face and say, okay, this is what we're doing today. (laughs) um yes even on the blue days yes 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 okay so to the clinician that is out there listening 
that is having one of those valley days. Mm -hmm. And um, um, there is a sweet lady listening in New Mexico. And woman, I am excited to get to hug your neck in person in like two weeks. And you're definitely taking me on a really cool hike because I want to see Albuquerque. But um, uh, on the blue days, what can we do? You know, I really try... I happen to have pictures of some of my kids that have gone, that I've done therapy with at my desk. And on those blue days, I take a look at them and I say, you have been successful. And I try to focus on what their success was to get me through the hard days. And knowing that you're, you may be down, but you're on the uphill going back up. And that just has to keep you going. Yes. Um, I have had um, difficulty where sometimes I advocate and I fight for second and third opinions with medical teams. And um, because I know in my heart of hearts that there is a larger comorbidity or a larger original etiology that has yet to be discovered. And that those are where I have my bluest of blue days. Um, and, um, sometimes after a family has heard from physicians and let's be honest, I work in a state where, um, it's the deep South and unfortunately sexism is pervasive in, um, my state. Um, and because I am a petite, um, female, um, my, uh, Opinion doesn't always bear merit. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a family has heard from two physicians that everything's fine, uh, <laughs> everything's fine. They're going to eat when they're hungry. Quit giving them the boob. Um, I had one mom was told. And um, lo and behold, um, the kid got so sick, I'm thinking of one case in particular, that they finally went to a major hospital. And guess what? They ran a scope in moderate to severe eosinophilic esophagitis oh, with a high school hernia. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's okay. But quit giving the boob. They're going to eat. Right. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, behind the scenes, after I got the phone call, don't you know, I hung up the phone and was like doing like the happy dance. Like, yes, we have a diagnosis. I mean, like it's a horrible debilitating diagnosis, but I was so freaking happy uh-huh. that I wasn't nuts. And that they, that like, The family persevered. And even though the PCP could not see, we planted a seed so that maybe the next time a child comes through, the recommendation will not be just quit giving them the boob and get hungry. Um, Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, cool. I'm adulting now. But um, there are families that after they hear it so many times, they don't want me as their clinician because I think I'm making it up. Right. And, um, I did have one that called, um, honest to goodness, almost three years later and was like, wow. Um, so it turns out we did have X, Y, or Z and I'm like, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I am, they asked me to come back in and I was like, unfortunately, until we get a list of foods that we're safe for, I am not ap- appropriate to do therapy at this time. We have to find all of that out. Um, so sometimes your job on those blue days, folks, is to be the seed planter. Yes. Cause Yep. You know, it may take root with you, but it may take root with someone else. And that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, I'm in my calling. I probably could have been a preacher somewhere. Down the line. 
don't know. I, I cuss a little too much. That probably wouldn't fly in the <laughs> Uh, it would take a special church. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great! Oh, I should, I should have put mascara on earlier. It's running. Um, um, okay, all right. We, I have to be um, conscientious of our time because we do have to allocate a little bit of time for Q and A because I really do want to see a picture of those books. Um, but is there anything else that you want to put out there before we switch to Q and A? I don't think so. Just remember that it it's you can't live in your own silo for eating. It takes a village to help that child. And like Michelle said earlier, cast your nets wide and build that village. Yes. Okay. So Beth, if someone is listening and have concerns for their little one and may or may not want to put you in their net, but like you're a good catch mama. Um, uh, how can they reach out to you? They can um, send me an email. Okay. And the email is, so I'm technically Elizabeth. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but I go as Beth. So the email is Elizabeth E. L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H dot helpin, H-A-L-P-I-N at nationwidechildrens.org. And Nationwide Children's is all one word. Okay. So Elizabeth dot helpin at nationwidechildrens.org. Yes. Beautiful. Um, oh my stars. I am, I am so, so happy that you came on and I'm seriously going to convince you and your um, partner in crime over there, Mr. Rob, to give me, um, to let us do a team one. How about that? That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let me switch over to questions and hold on two seconds. Okay. 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 Michelle Dawson, you're all things Peds SLP here with another exciting update brought to you by feedingmatters.org. So if research on pediatric feeding stokes your fire, then join Feeding Matters virtually on August 29th for the inaugural Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance Research Town Hall. Haley Henriksen Estreen, PhD RN will present strategic updates and initiatives igniting and driving research to advance the elevation and treatment of pediatric feeding disorders. Visit bit.ly backslash PFDA town halls to learn more. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson. The All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and eat those